Antitrust regulation, cryptocurrency, misinformation, TikTok memes, billionaires on rockets. It's been quite a year in tech. But what could the next year look like? What about the next five or 10 or 15 years? Here to help us ponder that question is Recode's editor-in-chief, Sam Oltman. Hi, Sam. Hey, Adam. So, Sam, a lot of folks listening might not know this, but today is the first day of Code, a yearly conference that Recode puts together where reporters like the iconic Kara Swisher get a chance to sit down with the biggest minds in tech. This is my first year at Code, but you've been before, right? Yeah, I attended my first Code back in 2019 in the before times, and obviously a lot has changed since then. Code is an event where we explore the biggest ideas and challenges in the tech world with some of the most powerful and influential people in the tech world, where we talk about complex issues like misinformation and the future of public health and privacy or what Elon Musk is up to. And we do that with experts who know all about it inside and out, while also zooming out and putting it into perspective. At this point, we all know the tech world isn't its own planet floating off in the distance, we're living in a tech world, and it's part of pretty much everything else that we care about, and we explore those ideas at Code. So what would you say is the most important story that we're going to be talking about this year, the one that you're most interested in following? I think it's actually two stories that are intertwined. It's Facebook's continued reckoning over its impact on society and politics, and it's the growing antitrust scrutiny of big tech, which includes Facebook. And, you know, the term antitrust scrutiny for a lot of people sounds inherently boring. It sounds dry. But if you zoom out, it's actually profoundly interesting and important. What that term antitrust scrutiny is asking is, are tech companies too powerful? Do they control too much of our lives and the economy? And do they need to be broken up or more tightly controlled than they are right now? Which honestly is very little. I think it's an existential question that's deeply important for every American, for everyone in the world, and we should all be paying attention. So we've talked a little bit about both of those things on this show before, but antitrust scrutiny specifically, I wonder what you think that might look like? What might actually happen in the next year that would make a difference to tech companies? I mean, I think we're already seeing somewhat of a chilling effect on tech companies. They're having to be a lot more thoughtful about acquisitions that they make. They're in a defensive stance rather than just feeling like they can do pretty much anything and be praised by politicians in the public. You don't think you have a monopoly? Uh, It certainly doesn't feel like that to me. Okay. It's a question of, does existing antitrust law, which was created long before the internet age, is it actually capable of appropriately regulating these companies? I think that's a debate that's unfolding right now that we don't have the answer to yet of, can you apply the existing laws to companies to regulate them effectively, or do we need to change or create new laws that are up to date with the internet age that will effectively deal with the power and influence these companies have on our society and the economy. Of course, the pandemic continues to be one of the biggest challenges that every industry is grappling with. And for social media companies, maybe especially Facebook, the explosion of misinformation over the last couple of years has really put them in the hot seat. Why do you think these companies have had such a hard time cracking down on fake news? 
Well, what I think is interesting is that at the start of the pandemic, social media platforms from Facebook to Twitter to YouTube, they came out of the gate by cracking down pretty aggressively, more than they ever had before, on the kinds of you know propaganda and manipulation and bad information that have been flooding their communities for years. And I remember our colleague Peter Kafka wrote this smart piece in May 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago. And he made a simple point in it. He explained that the pandemic was more than a public health crisis, that it was also like a virulent political debate and that Facebook and Google and Twitter's plans to deal with the issue in this straightforward, apolitical way, that that approach was going to set them up for failure. And we were already seeing that happen in May 2020. We've seen almost everything has become politicized in recent years, and COVID-19 was no exception. And these platforms were somehow unprepared to deal with that reality, despite the fact that they'd already seen since 2015 and beyond how everything is politicized and becomes very difficult to moderate and regulate on their platforms. And how have social media companies responded, maybe specifically Facebook? How has the explosion of misinformation in the pandemic forced them to make real changes? Well, they have changed in some ways, but many of their critics think that it's too little too late. I know our colleague Rebecca Highwell wrote about this earlier this year. Facebook finally announced plans in February that it was going to crack down seriously on anti-vax misinformation on its platforms. But this only came after years of ignoring health advocates who warned that Facebook was causing irreparable harm by allowing these anti-vaccination and health misinformation communities to sort of spring up and grow and spread misinformation on their platforms. Facebook and YouTube and Twitter are starting to take more action, but it always feels sluggish and reactive. Like they only really kick into high gear when journalists and lawmakers shine a light on how messy their platforms have become. And I don't know, it seems deeply ironic to me. We've we've all known for a while that there are deep problems. And again, even with everything that's happened in the last year and a half, they still feel sluggish. So I've seen some change, but it doesn't really seem like enough change to address the scope of the problem. Well, speaking of change, the pandemic has also completely upended the way we work. A lot of companies are pushing back their return to office plans to 2022. And for some tech companies like Apple, there's a battle between management and employees over things like remote work. Sam, what do you think the future of office work will look like? I think in the future, knowledge workers will have more flexibility about where and how they work. Obviously, this isn't going to apply to the vast majority of the workforce, like blue collar workers, pretty much all of them have to show up to work in person. But if we're just talking about knowledge workers who have the potential for flexibility, they'll have more flexibility, but I don't think truly remote for most. And we're seeing that play out at Apple right now. Some Apple corporate employees want to be full-time remote, but Apple is refusing to budge. And that's sparking internal battles that we haven't really seen at Apple before, and they're spilling over into the public view. And that probably will create issues for Apple down the line. But in the near term, Apple has so much power and cachet in the market, it can do whatever it wants and it's still going to have a great workforce of people who want to work for it. So I would say in the future, we will have more flexibility, but it's not going to be a massive percentage of workers being able to do their jobs remote full time from wherever they want. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about COVID, but of course, that's not the only huge crisis of our time, we seem to be feeling the effects of climate change more and more every day. 
and ways to address this is very much at the forefront of the minds of tech leaders. Thankfully, in the last few years, we have been seeing some innovation. More cars and public transit seem to be going green. The Biden administration is on board with continuing this transition. At the same time, a lot of towns and cities have been working on diversifying their electric grids. Are there any big new developments in this area that are maybe giving you a little bit of hope in terms of climate change? I mean, I think that tech will be part of the solution to climate change, but I'm very skeptical that tech innovation will actually be the key to adapting and changing the direction the world is barreling towards when it comes to climate change. My answer is a little general, but I actually think the most hopeful development I've seen is Gen Z. We have a generation that's starting to come of age that the vast majority of them, I think, regardless of their political affiliation, seem to recognize the crisis we're living in and they're desperate to fix it. They're also starting to identify that the roots of the problem are more than just individual choices. They're structural, they're political, they're economic. And that gives me more hope than anything else because I think a lot of older generations are still denying climate change is real or it's just hard for them to imagine a world where change is going to come beyond individual choice. Okay, so enough talk about work in crisis. One rather fun industry that boomed in the past year and a half is video streaming. Things have slowed down a little bit in the last few months, but it's obvious that the movie industry today looks very different than it did in 2019. Now, even with theaters back open, I can see big Marvel blockbusters at home the day they get released. That's a huge shift in how the industry works. Do you think it's a change that's going to stick around? I think it's hard to say because we're still not out of the pandemic and it may be a while until things return to normal. And again, I think a return to normal as we knew life before in 2019, I don't think that that will fully happen. We're still living in a world where we have a lot of flexibility about where and how we can watch movies. Um, And I think that'll continue. Like, even when we have the pandemic mostly under control and we can freely move about and do what we want, I think we'll have more options about where and how we can watch movies. But movie studios have a lot of reasons that are compelling, financial or otherwise, why they want us to watch their movies in theaters. And I think they're going to still push for us to do that while maybe offering other options sometimes. Honestly, though, I'm more of a TV watcher and we're living in a golden age of TV. So I'm less worried about movies. I'm, I'm focused on where I can watch good shows. Well, speaking of TV, there is also a new thing this year, and that is reality TV in space. (laughs) We've we've been seeing more and more billionaires exit the atmosphere this year and take cameras with them. Right now, a ticket to the International Space Station will cost you a couple million dollars, but maybe in the future, space travel could be more accessible. Sam, what do you think are the odds that space tourism will take off amongst everyday people like you and me? I think as long as you and I are alive, it's going to be the ultimate luxury vacation product for the very rich. I think maybe normies will get to go if we're working on the spaceships. And one final question. We're off to code. What conversation are you most excited about? Mm, Who am I excited about? Um, Honestly, I'm really interested to see Kara Swisher interview Elon Musk on stage. I know it will be interesting and probably entertaining. I have to say same. It's a it's a headline event. Techno King is there. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
Today through Wednesday, you can check out live interviews at Code with the biggest names in tech and business, including not only Tesla's Elon Musk, but also Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and Mark Benioff of Salesforce. Just head over to voxmediaevents.com slash code 2021 to reserve your tickets. And if you can't make it, we'll have you covered here at Recode Daily with updates for the next couple days. So stay tuned. And as always, thanks for listening. My name is Adam Clark Estes. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and engineered by Paul Robert Mouncey. What do you think the next year in tech will look like? Email us at recodedaily at recode.net.